Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. few seconds for a little while no you weren't i won't no i i was for a while i was on i was on this thing for like 15 minutes i paused to get up to have an argument with my wife on for 15 minutes my man Uh, i was checking every 10 minutes every like 30 seconds all right you want me to pull up i'm gonna pull up my browser history go ahead go ahead (laughs) do it Um, this is why I was on here so long that I discovered that StreamYard has a nice little 8.48 p.m. is when I first logged on. What are you talking about? I've been checking every like 30 seconds because I've been terrified. Like I will screenshot this and send it to you. Don't know what to tell you. Wait a minute. This is not possible. I sent it at 8.56. How were you on at 8.48 if I sent it at 8.56? You didn't. You said I did. That, oh, you did send it. You were in the one I sent last time. No. Yes. Maybe. Yes. Monsters of Socks. <laughs> this is the level of uh, technological savvy we have after nine o'clock on a Thursday, uh, where there was a snow day this week, which I don't think helped. Uh, any yeah. uh, any of the parental units here, Dan? How you doing? Well, I'm 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 hanging by a thread. That's how I'm doing. But okay. Th- and I can't. I was actually about to say, but it's Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday, so that's great. But the thing about being a parent of three young children is that the weekend is worse. 
Yeah, it, it really I mean, is. It's worse. It's not. It's not. It's not good. It's not. So I'm. Um, you know. I don't know. I, it, but hey, we got baseball to talk. Do we? We, we. Well, let's. I mean, look at we got pitchers and catchers have reported. All right, we've yeah. got we've got a possible. Do the Red Sox have any pitchers to report? Because <laughs> that that would seem to be important for Lucas Giolito threw off the mound today. Jaron yeah. Duran, your favorite player, is possibly yeah. going to be traded to the Padres and has blonde hair. All of this is happening, and you want to discuss existentialism. I do think that Jaron Duran in San Diego is a very, very potent mix of person and environment. I mean, he's a West Coast dude. It seems very, very new metal perfect. Yeah. Um, That's anachronistic, I, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> it is anachronistic. He could be. A, he, I, I mean, he's. I'm not into the new metal scene as much as you may be. No, I'm, uh, I'm not at all. I'm <laughs> he's chastened. tatted up, at least. I don't know. Is yeah. that one of the cultural signifiers? What is the deal? I, I haven't heard about this. What is the proposed proposed deal? There is no proposed deal yet. There's just a lot of smoke. I mean, the Padres right now have one outfielder because uh, they traded Soto and Grisham to the Yankees. Tatis is the only outfielder that they have. Um, so there has been a lot of smoke about the Padres checking in on Jaron Duran. It really doesn't I don't know. seem like Duran is long for the Sox. Well, it seemed like all offseason that they were going to do something with this glut of outfielders. You know, you had an interesting – Cora has already spoken about Sedan Rafaela and has, and has already said, like, there's a pretty good chance that he – breaks camp as the opening day center fielder. Um, More to the point, they've had happens. all offseason to do something about anything. <laughs> yeah. I guess if they've done happens, a couple things. But... We, it wasn't too long ago where you and I talked about how refreshing it was to have an offseason where things were happening <laughs> on the heels of the Verdugo trade and the, and the Chris Sale trade. We were just like, is it exciting to be back in the mix of things happening? And to be fair, that's those were actually I, I still like those. I'm still I'm still behind those. That's good. There just hasn't been a lot, and then there are still a lot of people have yet to be signed. I don't think the Red Sox are gonna sign them if Jorge Soler is gonna go to the Giants for a contract that Red Sox obviously could have signed him to. I think mm. that the the idea is um that the Red Sox are sort of going to war with the battle with yeah. the army they have right now. Well, again, and I do I do want to get into your your we'll list quandary, but I do real quick, I do want to talk about just you mentioned Jorge, Jorge Soler and now we're talking about Jaron Duran. You know, a, a a month or so ago we got on this pod and we talked about how Craig Breslow's experience as a former player may influence his actions and mindset as a GM. And at the time, we were thinking about it very positively. You know, you wrote the piece talking about how when you're a pitcher, you you can't not throw a pitch. That's your job. You have to do it. 
um, and how we thought that sort of that mentality of being a pitcher and the mentality of being a pro athlete in general was going to maybe force Breslow into being uh, more of a man of action than the Red Sox have had since Dombrowski left. And I think we did see some of that in the beginning of the offseason. But now I'm wondering if there's another aspect of his of his former athlete history that is coming to play here and that it's coming into play in not such a good way for the Red Sox. Is that he sucked? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's not right, sorry, Craig. It's not that. It's not that. Do you remember when, when we had June on the pod uh, back to discuss the World Baseball Classic class, almost 12 months ago yeah. at this point? Um, I don't know if this was on the pot or if this may have been backstage, but we briefly joked about how like a a baseball player will be seen doing the crossword puzzle in the clubhouse and all of the beat writers will be like, whoa, he knows words. Look at this. Like he writes. Yeah, we, call that the Mike, we call that the Mike Messina. That's what we call exactly. It. Yes. And it becomes, it, it becomes part of his persona for the rest of his career is, smart ball player not just yeah. ball player yeah. smart ball player yep and i wrote about this when breslow was hired the th- only thing anyone gave a shit about when breslow was hired was his educational background as an ivy leaguer as someone who got into nyu med school because again this is this is what happens if you're an athlete I didn't know you're an that. athlete that's, i mean that is impressive I, honestly like respect <laughs> he, that's impressive yeah. he deferred it to become a, a middle reliever um but um, it, like that's what happens if, if you're an athlete and if you're uh, of above average intelligence, you know, you spend most of your life surrounded by other guys who don't go to college or if they do to go to college, you know, aren't going there to study. You're surrounded by guys who have spent most of their life never needing to be smart and so not bothering with it. And that beca- your identity becomes the smart guy in the room. It really, really does, and you and you. There are millions of quotes about this about with, with Breslow. And now I wonder this, and and I've and I've met, I, I've met a few, like ex pro athletes who were never. My my wife briefly worked for the NFL Players Union, and so I would hang out with a couple of other people she worked with, and there would be a couple of of you know former NFL. NFL no one you no one you would know. These are guys who spent like a year or two in the NFL and who barely made it on the field. Right. But they were smarter than their fellow football players. And so they made their way into the union's corporate offices in DC. And like those players all thought they were much smarter than they actually were (laughs) because of the backgrounds they come up in. And I think that is something else that happens with these quote unquote smart athletes. And I look at, how this off season went. And I look at how Breslow came in at the start of the off season. And I look at what he's saying now, how he says on his first day in Fort Myers, where he admits, yeah, things didn't go the way I anticipated. (laughs) I think he got a real lesson that this is harder than he thought it was going to be. I really do. I think, I think he came in with a little bit of hubris because he always has been the smartest guy in the room because he's mostly been in the room with Jonathan Papelbon. That's, that's <laughs> and, pretty good. And once he trades well, Papelbon I mean, look, in. He was for, like their seventh choice. So I, I, there's like a. I don't think. Well, we talked about that too. I'm not sure he was. I fine. think there. He wasn't their he, first choice. You know that. Like I feel like yeah, that's. That's probably safe to say. 
and and to me, he just reminds me of Joel Osteen, and it's like he's much smart. <laughs> to me, he's much more trustworthy than Joel Osteen. There, there is a little Osteen in him. Yeah, there wish, really is. Oh like boy, the, do I wish you hadn't said that to me. <laughs> that's the first. It's the first and only thing that I can think of when he's got like at the certain angle, he really has the Joel Osteen plastic surgery smile. Like it he looks, he does have really that does. smile. He also at least. He was, he was very, he, he was very prepared for his uh, hiring press conference in a way that I actually found a little off-putting. Like he, he clearly had canned lines that he was trying to get out in a kind of I'm, Joel Osteen-esque performance way. That's fine. I I would rather have that than the um, internalized arrogance of Bloom and. Uh, I understand that there's a cause and effect thing there, but I don't care. So I, I look, I, we're going to get into what the heck is going on with the team right now. But I do think that at least to some degree, and we've talked about this and you just sort of hinted at it. Brazil will actually tell us things. So sidelong in a way that Bloom would not. And it may be because he can't do any better than communicate through the media. And I hope that that remains the case because as we will get into, I'm, I don't know what the Red Sox even are anymore. And Breslow is the caretaker of something that I find hard to identify. Do you have anything else to say before we go to a break and come back? No, uh, we can go to a break. I guess. Uh, yeah, no, go to a break. I got nothing. We are breaking and we will be back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Do you want to talk about the column that has not been published as of when we are talking, but will be? As of the time. Well, it's yeah. your column. Yes, it is. It's your column. Is this your way of saying you're you're too modest to talk about? No, I'm not too modest you to talk about to it. it. I just uh, you read it and you you had a couple things you wanted to nitpick, but I, I got the sense that, that was more just needling <laughs> me about specific uh, claims I made more than the broad strokes, which I will get into. The broad well, strokes are, I'll just say like. I don't even know what the Red Sox are anymore. And it's like a fundamental sense. 
and I am sort of torn by when Ken Rosenthal was talking to AJ Brzezinski and was like, justifiably for once for him making sense being like these are the red Sox and they're not doing anything and that made sense to me because the last 20 years have been so fruitful and the red Sox under john henry and company successfully did something that was almost impossible it was turn a loser of almost 90 years into the strongest franchise in baseball. I do want to, I do want to just, I want to object to that characterization because I I have, I have, I always object to that characterization. Usually I get it from outside fans, but even back in the nineties, I did this, you know, the Red Sox of course were defined by the curse, but from 1967, at least through, the revival of the Yankees dynasty in 1996, the Red Sox had won more games than any other American league team. So I have always hated the, the like, and, and you kind of touched about this, you touched on this in your draft a little bit. Like John, they, John Henry did not take over a loser. He took over a team that had very, very bad luck for a long time, but he took over a team that, was as strong as anyone else in the league other than the Yankees. He took over a team that for all the talk about the, you know, the sellout streak that, that came into place from, you know, whatever it was, 2002 to 2009, he took over a team that always by percentage had the best uh, attendance in the American league. Like the Red Sox have always been a giant, always. He didn't I take over. I disagree with this. I don't think that this, you know, this is like I I hear what you're saying. Like numbers don't lie, except for what is the one decade outside of maybe this one so far, thankfully, uh, where the Yankees are supposed to have been uh failures. It's the 80s, and they won more games in the 80s than any other team. Any other team. So those stats don't really – I understand that the aggregation of them um, means something. But for me, being a Red Sox fan of a certain age, which you are just a little bit less than me, but more or less the same, is that there there was um, – Constantly and uh, evoking back to a past that we didn't actually live, and uh, it was a totally different identity than it has become in the last twenty years. It was an identity of like collective sorrow in various bouts of like high-profile failure. And became uh, collective joy in high-profile success. And now, so now when it, it seems reductive to say it's normalizing, but it also seems sort of like exactly what, what the Red Sox are counting on happening because 
I think, and I think you think, that post-2018, John Henry was like, all right, I've done it all. And now we're going to put it on like the, what the investing equivalent of just uh, investing in slow growth mutual funds is. Like, let's just scale it back, do it the safe way. And the point of my piece is that this really reminds me of sort of a ship of Theseus thing where it's like, if you replace the whole thing piece by piece, is it still the thing? So is it still, when you say, is it the Red Sox? Well, obviously it is. There's the Jerry Seinfeld rooting for longer thing. It says Red Sox on the front. They're the Red Sox. Sure. But we say, is it the Red Sox? In the sense that Ken Rosenthal was like, this is the Red Sox. What he means is the John Henry 20 years Red Sox. Is that over? I think that is the larger point. Is that has that been siloed the same way, amazingly, the first 20 years of the 20th century were sort of siloed from the next 80? <laughs> so I don't think it'll be like that at the same time. I don't think the Red Sox are trying very hard. I I feel like they see that Henry feels like they've accomplished quite enough to pull this off, and he is slowly and in fifth and starts. Uh, encourage believe that maybe it isn't, and then he does things like sign Rafael Devers. But I don't know, man. I just don't. This disassembling of the Red Sox and reassembling before our eyes and being told that they're being competitive the whole time really does seem to me to be like a thought experiment for how much bullshit you can take. And it really made me think of various philosophical things because I have no results. Just give me some preseason ground outs so I can <laughs> obsess over them, Dan. Well, you're talking about identity. Right. You're talking about what makes the Red Sox the Red Sox. And this is something that I've thought about in the broader context of American professional sports a lot, actually. Um and not always in a positive way. Because the thing about identity is, like, ultimately, capitalism kind of destroys it in every case. The, 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 the quirky mom-and-pop hardware store disappears, and the Home Depot that looks exactly like every single Home Depot in the world replaces it. Why? Because it's more efficient to do it that way. And when I've thought about identity vis-a-vis -vis professional sports and like, what does it mean to be the Red Sox versus what does it mean to be the Marlins? You know, I've always thought that there's a real interesting contrast between the big four American sports and college sports and European soccer. College sports and European soccer, are of course, both extremely capitalistic. In many, many ways, I would never say that they are not, but there is a big difference in how they were founded, right? Like Major League Baseball, the American League was founded when eight rich guys divided up the eastern seaboard and said, you're in this city with a team, you're in this city with a team, you're in this city with a team, you're in this city with a team. All the teams were started on the exact same day, founded the exact same day, they divided up players 
and there was this, there's this, a sort of sense of homogeneity about that and genericism. College sports obviously weren't founded like that. Call it the birth of college sports is a bunch of fucking guys in Harvard Yard playing football against each other. And then they say, hey, should we play those guys from Yale? Yeah, sure. And European soccer is the same way. Some of the biggest clubs in the world today were founded by children in the streets or were founded by churches. And they, you know, they built themselves up into massive global capitalist enterprises, but that's not how they started. And college sports entities and European soccer teams have such stronger individual entities than all American professional sports teams do, right? Like European soccer teams don't move. They don't move. They don't change names. They don't change their colors. They do change one half their uniform radically every year. But like a team's never going to be like, we're the red team. Next, you know what? We're getting rid of our red brand identity and we're now the and you know we've hired a consulting group and now we're orange because orange represents uh the you know moving forward and you know like all the crap that you hear from american teams when they do hire brand consulting groups and they completely rebrand that doesn't happen in college that doesn't happen in european soccer and if it did it would seem really 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 weird right if if duke university tomorrow came out and started wearing orange people would flip the fuck out about it and if the Red Sox started wearing orange, people would flip the fuck out about it too. You but say they that, but they wear yellow that. and blue. They wear yellow and light blue. <laughs> well, that is kind of soccerish because soccer does have a tradition of of wearing weird ass uniforms that have nothing to do with the color. All right, uh, hold on. And, I'm gonna I'm, I'm interject here. I'm gonna interject. Brooklyn time. Brooklyn story time. Everybody, woo! <laughs> so I ordered from England. I had a point I was building towards. I don't remember what it was. It was like a 1971 retro Arsenal jacket, and it was blue and gold. It was the exact same colors as the Red Sox. Uh, Patriots Day, right? Yeah. And that, God, what is this guy's name? Um, I was on a date with a British girl, of all things, at a bar really close to me in Brooklyn. I can't remember the name, but you would know it. Um, and I was in there and the actor, John Hanna, who's in the mummy, who's a British guy happened to be in the corner and not the offensive lineman. No, not the offensive. spelled the same way, but not the same guy. And I didn't know his name, but I recognized him and he looked at me and he looked at my jacket and he like did a triple take being like, why the fuck? this guy have a 1971 art and i was just like the truth was i was trying to be as hipster as possible um anyhow continue to your point so he did he talk to you about it or no he just looked at you just see it in his eyes gotcha okay (laughs) he might have been looking at you for all kinds of reasons who knows who knows i mean i was i was very attractive in those days yeah i'm sure you were um but like in a lot of ways, what American sports teams work to do is to tamp out the identity of individual teams. Like the like, you can even talk talk about uniforms. What's in the news today about about Major League Baseball uniforms? Okay, so I don't get it. Like I know fanatics sucks. I've 
I know Fnatic sucks, but I see these uniforms and I don't see what people are just like. Oh my god, that's so. Oh, you silly. couldn't see what looks so horrible now. Oh my god, like no. oh, I could see like they look cheap. There's no, there's like no depth to them at all. You know what I mean? There's like no depth to the names on the back and the name, and they're small as shit. They just look cheap as shit. Um, see, I think like, something we get used to really quickly, but maybe yeah. not. But I think it would be so much more but interesting. Sucks. Like the point, it, it the, sucks. Yeah, it sucks. And what? And and this is a small example. And you can say this is an ultimately meaningless example. And you're right. But like college teams and soccer teams have their own manufacturers, and as a result, like they they develop sort of uniform identities beyond just the colors and the logo. Right. That's especially true when you watch college sports. Like the uniforms look really different in college sports. If you watch Major League Baseball spring training games, especially, they are all wearing identical templates, all 30 teams. They just change the color of the piping underneath the, the, the armpits. Like, that's it. So they work to sort of tamp out identity. Of course, they move all around the country. They've been doing that for 70 years now. They put in all sorts of market restrictions to try and enforce parity so that it literally, like, there, there's just, there's a real sort of, homogeneity to american sports and for a while baseball was kind of the holdout to that because there was something to being the yankees and the red sox and the cubs and on the other end of the spectrum the a's and the royals that doesn't exist in the other sports and that was almost always held out as a bad thing right there there this narrative has been entrenched for as long as i've been a sports fan that parity is good and that economic imbalance is bad i don't believe that because i have seen college football and because i've seen the premier league i see zero evidence whatsoever that people would think college football was more interesting if like if alabama would go through five or six year stretches where they finished in eighth place in the sec or ninth place and went through a rebuilding process while, you know, UMass all of a sudden went on a run and, you know, was a top five team in the country. Like that's certainly exciting for UMass fans. Sure. I don't think that it, it, that would make for a more healthy college football environment in general. So I like, I part about you like, saying all that is to your point in a very specific way about the playoffs or when you make the playoffs more random, and you're right, you're right. Dominant teams in any sport, dominant players in any sport, lift the sport. They lift the sport. People didn't. Lo- people complained about the Warriors. Guess what? More people watch the Warriors than Hell they watch yeah. the finals when the Warriors are not in it because they want to see it. The Chiefs. The Chiefs are an example of this. The Chiefs just repeated and broke the record for biggest TV program of all time watched by, I think we should want to see great teams. Of like course. we should. And when and I feel like in a lot of other sports, playoffs fucks it. <laughs> totally fucks it. And everything, and this is what I'm saying. Like everything that the owners have been doing for the past 40 years has been taking a hammer to the individual identity from teams, whether it's uniforms or whether it's just, we're not going to allow you to be better than the Royals for reasons. 
and well, you know it, it's so like what does it mean to for an american professional sports team to have an identity i'm not sure i'm not well, sure I'm talking about baseball to specifically because there's like you can in football your identity is sort of like the admin in football and basketball for the exact opposite reasons one because you have such a big team once because you have such a small team your identity is sort of defined by the admin actually in in basketball it's probably more defined by your uh, in basketball player. your identity is your is your top three players right and that's kind of a weird thing about the nba too where like when when all of the whenever when you have a cap like you do in the nba and you only have 15 players in the roster anyway like any team can become a dynasty any team could become a dynasty i'm glad that all re- i have- mean well any team could be like you provided they get the right play like that's sure. that's what i mean that, yeah that's that's what and i totally about. and i and i totally get that it's good to give fans hope but it like the the, the miami heat didn't become a dynasty when like when when they had lebron wade and bosch like they didn't do that because because of 10 years of careful planning and smart management by the heat they just did it because Dwayne wade was like hey wouldn't it be cooler to live in miami than cleveland and lebron was like yeah let's do that you know that's the mb that's the the identities of nba teams change at the at the snap of a finger, the the identity of football teams, I think you're about to say, was their identity is the coach. Yes, is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Yes. Same thing. So again, the identity flips in the off season. I and kind so baseball, of baseball, like I don't even know what the identity is. I'm yeah, I'm not sure either. Like I think sure we either. described I, it to the GM, but at the same time, the teams can obviously take on a life of their own. And that is like, that is a, to bring it back to the Red Sox in the same way in 2021, 2013. What we are hoping for this year is that 2024 takes on a life of its own. And it's unlikely. That's, that's, that's the unfortunate part. Well, I'll tell you what the identity should be. You know, you just, you just asked the question, where does the identity for baseball teams come from? It should come from the fans. It should come from the fans. There is a like there is a saying you hear in European soccer all the time where the fans say the fans are the club. They truly believe that. They they believe that they are what makes Liverpool Liverpool, Real Madrid, Real Madrid. They don't believe it's the owners or the chairman of the board. They don't believe it's the players. They believe it's the fans. And they create those fans create a culture. They create certain expectations. There's a, there's a team in Spain. There's a team in Spain that's in the Basque region of Spain that only, 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 only feels Basque. Bill Bell? Yes. They only feel Basque yeah. players. Yeah. That obviously puts them at a competitive disadvantage, but that's the identity their fans demand. And, and they are still one of the better teams in Spain. And they're they one of the only oldest. Feel Basque players. Like they're really old. Right. They're massive, yeah, yeah, and and their their fans are okay with the fact that it puts them at a competitive advantage because they've decided this is who we are. Yeah, that doesn't happen in American so, sports and, because I think the owners don't want it to happen. Right, and so but that's my question with the Red Sox, where yeah. I think that 
at least before they broke the curse and had this whole new identity, we had a pretty good idea of who we were. We were kind of losers. We were winners, but losers. We were, I wouldn't say we were winners, but losers. I, I think, look, I think before 2004, if you said, what's the identity of the Red Sox? Obviously, you would say cursed, but you would say massively supported. You would you would describe them as a regional institution. You would describe them as unchanging, as sort of uh, not a relic of the past because relic has negative connotation. But uh, you know, what's the positive word for relic? <laughs> you know what what's what's the I word? I for... mean, but uh, you say that you say that as if it was positive, but I don't think they use the positive aspects in any real way. I feel like they've used the positive aspects of the history subsequent to being acquired by John Henry and doing things doing things as simple. Like I know it doesn't affect the player acquisition process to put up the monster seats, but showing that you it's like when Mark Cuban bought the Mavs and bought the players. I I, I always remember this, like the players love that he bought them giant towers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like that's yeah. a very very simple thing, and there's like, oh yeah, that was awesome. And I do think the Red Sox had, did have a sea change um, when they took over, but I do feel like there's been a regression now and a uh, complacency that the Red Sox have all but admitted in hiring Theo. Frankly, I I, I think that. And, and doing the Netflix show, which we haven't even talked about, which, my God, we're going to have more of the 2024 Red Sox than we ever wanted. <laughs> ever. I'm excited for the Netflix show. I, I find it funny that people are mad about it. Uh, how could you be mad about getting access to the Red Sox clubhouse? I, I think the one dumb thing about it is that it's not going to air for another 12 months. Well, you say that, but you don't watch the F1 show, right? The I don't. Track. And like. They need to build a narrative. The F1 show. F1 is maybe the least competitive league there is. Like in terms of winning the title, it's a foregone conclusion 90% of the time within like a month. It's just mm-hmm. like it's a foregone conclusion. And they make that show. The, and it comes out after you know what happened. You know what happened. You've watched all the races. And the show is still fucking great. Because they just have hours and hours of material. And as I wrote my piece, they'll just lie to you in ways that make you feel awesome to watch it. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. And you, like, yes, they, they need to build a story, right? So you, they're not going to release the footage as they go because they don't know how the story is going to end i still think oh, that's I a little gonna, i know late. how it's gonna <laughs> i still think that seems a little too late um this just seems be- like such a sam kennedy like he thinks that this is the greatest thing to ever happen well it is a good idea it is a good idea i like it it has killed me for years that baseball hasn't been doing this it's like f1 Obviously, you know, F1 is in hard knocks are sort of the two biggest ones probably in America, but every other sport has been doing this for 10 years. The Major League oh, Baseball. I love it for only... baseball. I love it for Major League Baseball. It's just for the Red Sox. I'm like, really? These guys hurt? 
don't know. Well, I yeah, I mean, you sort of, I guess, from Netflix perspective, and and well, we should say apparently this was Tom Werner's idea. That's what it sounds like. Oh, from the what TV executive. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a shock. Which, which, so Occam's Razor. That's probably why it's the Red Sox. But you could also see from Netflix's perspective, you know, they want to launch this show. They want to have one of the most popular. They want to start with one of the most popular teams. It's great for both sides, honestly. Like I, as much as I'm complaining yeah. uh, about like why this would happen, it's great. Uh, it's patently great for Netflix because the Netflix. The same way Duncan during the Super Bowl. Do you know that? So you know about this Duncan Donuts commercial during the Super Bowl? Yeah, I've heard about With it. Affleck and Damon and Brady, and so they're wearing these Dunkings. Are you seriously Jackson. describing the Dunkin' Donuts commercial? But I know there's a point. as if, there's as a if point. there's anyone listening who doesn't know what you're talking. About. They might not know what I'm about to say. In the okay. ones they're wearing in the commercial, there's a Red Sox logo on the side. Yeah, and Red Sox. It says Red Sox on the front, or it says Boston in the front in the Red Sox font. Yeah, Jake Devereaux of OverTheMonster.com ordered his own thing the next day. His own from Duncan.com. They have generic artwork and generic Boston. Yeah, no Red Sox because they don't have the Red Sox because the Red Sox were just getting in front of eyeballs. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Red Sox will have an identity after the Netflix series comes out. Well, so maybe maybe they, maybe they'll just maybe maybe from you know after a year from now, everyone will say, "Oh, the Red Sox. Oh, that's that team that Tristan Casas plays for." Well, so this he is, is obviously this, going to be the star. This dovetails with something else I wrote about that I would like to ask you about. Do you think the Red Sox are putting unfair expectations on their youngsters? I don't count Casas. I'm talking about the other guys. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that today uh, because Fangraph's top 100 prospects came out today and Marcelo Meyer was all the way down at number 69, which is by far, uh, by far the lowest he's been since he was drafted. I mean, honestly, this seems right, frankly. If you look at the track record, Sure, I think I think there are probably some things you can quibble with there, but um, yeah, I mean they basically, and it's not just about the injury either. They're they're talking about, and we've heard about that. We've heard of, of this from Baseball America too. Basically, like since he went pro, he hasn't quite uh, been the same hitter he was profiled as coming out of high school. Um, I don't think they're necessarily putting too much pressure on them. I think, look, if these guys if these guys can't handle the pressure right now, then they're not going to be able to handle it later. So I'm not so much worried about putting too much pressure on them. But the bigger problem is managing the expectations of the fan base. There, like, there are significant chunks of Red Sox fans right now who are convinced all three of these guys are, are all stars convinced and you know i tweeted about this today like if marcelo meyer gets off to a slow start this year he's gonna drop out of some he's gonna drop out of fancraft's top 100 list like like if he starts to see the number 69 and gets off to a slow start he's gonna be out of their mid-season 
updates. And then everyone's going to be like, wait, what? Marcel? I, I thought Marcelo Meyer was a can't-miss Hall of Famer. Because that is sort of – like the team's not obviously saying that about them. But given everything we know about their roster-building strategy right now, nothing's happening until these guys show up. Apparently. Maybe. Maybe. We don't even know. We don't like we're kind of just I mean, another thing Craig Breslow did say is that they will return to the aggressiveness that they've shown in the past when the time is right. Right. And obviously when the time is right is apparently when Meyer, Teal and Anthony are all up in the big leagues and, you know, not just up in the big leagues, but above average regulars to all stars. I just don't think it's fair to them. And I don't mean that in a way that like I don't. I, like I understand what's happening. I just, it's also just not smart. On it's not smart. That's the, the biggest the, issue. It's not the smart. Reds are. They want it to be. If you want it to be a process, you can't. I mean, you you can do whatever you want, but if it's the process, you don't want to stick it on very specific people. Because it's about the process, not about these specific people. And it does seem like their knee-jerk reaction to some things and being up in their feelings, they need they feel like they need something to show off. And so they're showing these guys off. And I hope they work and maybe they will. But it seems I'd rather if they were doing it with six guys rather than three, I'd feel a lot better. Let's just put it that yeah. way. And 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 it and again, going back to the identity thing too. Uh, when Mookie Betts was traded, I I remember Joe Posnanski, not a not a Boston Mookie writer. Betts? <laughs> Good question. Not a not a Boston writer, a national writer. You know, was he he wrote about the trade and he was trying to break it down and breaking down the reasons why and. And what he said, and he, he called this, sorry, Brian, but uh, four years before before he wrote about it today, he's like, the Red John Henry has decided that the Red Sox are just another team, and I don't know why he's made that decision. And, like, that's what they're still doing with this window. Like, you look – like, the, the, the whole idea of competitive windows was never – supposed to apply to teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Cubs. It's not supposed to, that, that was like a competitive window was supposed to be something that teams who couldn't afford to compete every year shot for. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. The Blue Jays competitive window is about to close, right? Uh, is the Red Sox farm system better than, than Vladdy, Bichette, Kevin Biggio? Not that and and Kevin Biggio is not Bish, good. I was gonna say Kevin he's Bish not Bish good. Might, might not but he was. Good. But but he but he was like he was supposed. You can to pick be. someone who was, his dad isn't a Hall of Famer too, if you want. But but, but my point is he was supposed I to be good. Not he was supposed to be good. Like there was like he. It's not like it's not like when they were coming up. It wasn't like you have Vladdy and Bichette and then Kevin Biggio down here. No Actually, one knew who it, was going to be. Was, it kind of was, but I, now I'm just getting. In the week. He's not even, has not been yeah. as good as he's not even a big league regular. Vlad, Vlad hasn't though. even he's, been as good and, as this. And Vlad's so fallen off. Exactly. Kevin Biggio is not even a big league regular anymore. And Vlad had one superstar season and now has a lot of red flags about his game. 
Yeah, I still think he's. I still think he's gonna. Same thing happened. I mean, the whites like how how big did the White Sox competitive window look three years ago? So I would agree with you, except for the fact that I thought that the Red Sox were a team that would have a competitive window twenty years ago, and then they showed. And this is the this is the mind fuck that we have to deal with when we talk about this. They showed that it should be open all the time. And now they close. It's what you said, Posnanski said, and I have said many times. Like, why? Why did you close it? it? Doesn't I don't get it. I just like I get it because I understand how hedge funds and large capitalist organizations work, and that's clearly what they're they're arguing. They're they're uh, acting as part of a conglomerate, and. They're not the a key part of it, and they haven't been since. When did Henry buy Liverpool? Uh, he bought Liverpool back in like 2014 or okay. something like that, or a while ago. I, I, yeah, okay. Look, I think so if you're, 2018 if you're looking for a date, is the 2018 the 2018 title when the Red Sox won that. It did seem like they were like, okay, we've done everything we want with the Red Sox. I'm not sure it's that I, I don't think it's that they did everything they want. I think I think Henry Yeah, no, they wanted to trade Mookie Betts and they waited a year to do that. So there you go. You know, I, I think he I, I mean again my thing with John Henry always is he's convinced he's the smartest guy in the room. Um and he always thinks that he can zig where others are zagging, or although in this case his zigging was he wanted to zig where other teams had already zigged. And, you know, he saw other teams that they could get away with being bad, being mediocre for three or four years. And then it sets them up for a nice little run. And he said, we can do that. And, and, and look, we, we talked about this when Bloom was fired. They, they came out every off season and told us they were trying to compete for a championship even as they were not replacing right fielders and not replacing shortstops and, and trading away Hall of Famers. I actually don't think they were lying at that point. I don't. I really think they thought that they were smart enough. So this is exactly what I'm talking about, the ship of Theseus analogy. I'm seriously, I'm not trying to... I think they thought if we take this team and just replace it, it'll be the same. And we replace it piece by piece. I'm not trying. It obviously didn't work that way, but I agree with you that they thought that it would. And that it is, it is long in coming to them that it didn't work as they had expected. And that's like, almost now seems to be the explicit reason behind hiring Theo. I don't know if that's true either. I, I mean, I, first of part all, he hasn't of the done, reason, part of the look, reason. I mean, I mean, after Theo was brought back into the ownership group, Sam Kennedy proceeded to spend the next four days basically telling everyone why they shouldn't be that excited about it. Look, he really did. He's already said, he's like, Theo is not going to be in the offices. He said that. Theo is not going to be involved in the day-to-day operations. Yeah, Sam Kennedy said, is saying, still pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to the important <laughs> guy. 
He's, he's, no, I don't think he, but no, I we I don't think he is important. I don't think he's that important to the Red Sox right now. I don't think he's doing shit. I really don't. I, I think I th- I think he's I think he's saying, hey Craig, if you need me, give me a call. I'm here for you. Otherwise, yeah, you know, that's he's, more than Sam Kennedy is doing. Yeah, sure. And and Sam Kennedy, of course, has never been a baseball ops guy, so that's a big difference. But I I don't look if they really brought Theo in because they're like, we need a culture change. Then we would have heard, then we no, would have heard Theo would be in the it's building. PR, it's PR. Come on, it's PR. Like obviously well, it's PR. So then, so then, what you're saying about them bringing him in because they knew they were wrong isn't. But right. I also think that Theo might have. And look, 2029 now, Manfred's out. Uh, he God, I hope something him. happens between now and 2029 to just get that done. Yeah, when him. people are like, Manfred's out in 2029, I'm like, great. I like, what's that's a long way that's away? A long time away. That's, that's the, over in Olympia. The in third way. Trump administration. Oh my God. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I do think, look, so I'm listening to Blood in the Garden, which is the. Chris Herring book on the nineties Knicks. Uh, and I, cause I listen to books now cause I'm in my car all the time. And uh, Pat Riley angling for like ownership stake is very top of mind for me in, in both the Knicks and then the heat where he got it. Mm-hmm. And I think Theo's just laying low. He's just like, Oh, the Red Sox are in trouble. Oh, you now oh now I'm on staff. Oh now you need this. Well what what if I got this? And I feel yeah. like Theo I feel like Theo has his foot in the door and is going to th- look, I'm wish casting. I'm wish casting. You are wish casting because it. it doesn't it like ownership, only one thing makes you an owner. And that's having more money than everyone else. Uh and not Theo's- Sam Kennedy, not for Sam Kennedy. But Sam Kennedy owns, you know, less than one percent of the team or something. He he and he and Theo own probably about the same percentage. Um I hope Theo and, owns more. I hope so too. <laughs> and, and he probably does. Um, well, maybe not. But like the, the people have been saying this too, like, oh, maybe Theo, you know, John Henry's 75. Maybe Theo will be the principal owner when when John Henry's ready no, to go. Not, no, he's no. not because he doesn't have the money for that. He doesn't have the money for that. That's not going to happen. And I don't think he's going to take over Sam Kennedy's job either because he, he doesn't. He's already done. He's basically done that in his baseball a, life with the he Cubs. He has a. He also has a brain. It, uh, yeah, it, it's a functioning brain. He's not going to take Sam. There, there's nothing in it for Theo to all of a sudden of go but back. That's, but that, but that gets back to like, EI and, I understand your. I don't know if it's cynicism, but. Whatever probably. your I don't take know what you're getting is, at, but it's like, probably soon. why would he take it if it was just strictly a no show money. job? Money because now money. he owns part of a major league baseball team. But he, that it's the team he now he owns owns you think he an just entity collect a check and not do anything? He's not he's not collecting a check, it, like he's not collecting a paycheck. He now owns part of an asset. That does nothing but skyrocket up in value year after year after year. Like anybody is going to accept being an owner. What do you think he is going to do? Because he is going to do something. Well, 
I think he is, I think he's going to do exactly what we've heard. He's a consultant on large strategic issues for FSG, which means I think he's, get good players, but that's not even that like it's, but what he's going to consult on is going to be even bigger than that. I think he's going to maybe think about the future of regional sports networks a little bit. I think he's going to think about synergy within, you know, FSG entities. I, like I said, I think he's going to, so I think he's going to meet the with the other 29 owners in Florida. Is going to get full McKenzie. Yeah, I think so. And then I think he's just going to wait out Rob Manfred and then try to be the commissioner. That's what I think he's doing. And in the meantime, he's going to own an incredibly valuable asset. Yeah, I'm off the commissioner thing because I think he's too. He he likes baseball too much. Well, look, if, if, if anyone, if, if, if there's anyone who could, infiltrate the commissioner's office it would yeah, be yeah it'd be like bart giamatti like it would be the smart guy it'd be like the, the smart guy who everybody likes actually got in there um just if you do that theo don't vacation on martha's finger because you will have a heart attack and die is that what happened to bart giamatti he died in Edgartown, Massachusetts. Did not know that. Sure did. Um, poor Bart. Poor Bart. Shout out to Paul. Hope, hope Paul's doing okay. Uh, I can hold on. I can update you. Paul's Paul? doing now pretty doing... well for himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is, is, that, the, the is that an Oscar prediction? The most what a Brooklyn talk. Brooklyn. Woo, woo. Oh, okay. I did. Southern, no, I second, most, second most, second most, second most. Paul Dano. I saw Paul Dano 10 times probably, uh, but Giamatti was second. I saw Paul Giamatti at Jack the Horse Tavern in Brooklyn. Oh, yes. You ever go there? Oh, I yes. saw Paul Giamatti there. The, but the person I saw more was Ethan Hawke. So Ethan uh, Hawke, when I wasn't there, but uh, when Lila was like six months old, they were at um, – <clears throat> building on bond which doesn't exist anymore i just saw um and uh they were coming out of the bathroom and ethan hawk like almost clotheslined them and ethan hawk was saw my daughter was like i was destroyed this tiny little baby <laughs> i actually the, fir- the first time i saw ethan hawk he was with his daughter oh and yes I- yes i'm a- yes <laughs> i'm aware and of, I, um, it was I it was the day after a snowstorm and this, you know, the so the sidewalks are really narrow because yeah. it was just, you know, just like one shovel length. Yeah. And and I was walking with my wife, and there was a in front of us a, a father with like a little girl on a tricycle, and I, not yet uh, being a dad myself, was kind of annoyed because they were going very slow and we were in, you know, you, you couldn't pass. You, you could pass. You're on the sidewalk. And I don't think, I don't, I'd like to think I didn't make any outward noises or anything like that. But all of a sudden he stopped and he was like, Hey, Hey, I think, I think we're holding up traffic here. Let's let these people go. And we walked by and, and you know, it was Ethan Hawk and 
I got the end of my story. One, one, one last, one last Ethan Hawke story here. A friend of mine from New York. <laughs> Let's I, keep going. He, I'll, I'll, you want, I'll, no, I'll listen, up, no, let me look up good. some this information. Is, this is good. This is really good. He had Thanksgiving with me one year, like 23, 22 years ago with Ethan me and my Hawk. dad. No, my friend. And I was like, yeah. what's the craziest Thanksgiving you had? He's like, well, I was a, like I, I was a house sitter. For I was someone. at Kurt Schilling's house once. I was a header, house sitter for someone, and uh, there was a Thanksgiving where I had it with Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, and Quentin Tarantino, and they played uh, like charades or something. And my friend is very—he'd be good at that. And he was like, he said. Tarantino was getting furious because my friend was better than him at the other things. And then when they left, he's like, Uma Thurman kissed me on the cheek and said, you are so cool. And he's just like, that's, that's my shit. Like, I just like, he's held that his entire life. This story doesn't make any sense. Let me there write was this. something. Oh, he was house sitting. He was house sitting. He doesn't. Ha- he and like, yet he hosted thanksgiving i don't know like i there's there's some missing details where like he was house sitting like the neighbors real i don't know what missing details are he was on shrooms and he hallucinated i believe him that this happened that makes zero sense that you would be hosting how would it make sense that you were had thanksgiving with these three people anyway I I could uh, no, you're right. I, well, why would they be having Thanksgiving together too? Like, dude, when you become a Hollywood well, celebrity, Thurman you was just in, uh, Kill Bill, no, buddy. Yeah, I'm aware that they all know each other, but my yeah, point Kill is, Bill, like, they all still have extended you know. families and stuff. But they were like, hey, should we spend Thanksgiving with our families? No, I spent Thanksgiving guys. with that fucking guy two years later, three years later. We didn't have people, Dan. Not everyone were, has your family situation. Were you, were you housing for somebody? Like, what is... Jesus, this fucking guy. Oh, hey, why right. don't you have a family? <laughs> I try. All right. What else you got on the red side before we get to recommendations? Because I'm getting... Let's see. I feel like there is more about Netflix we could discuss. Well, so I didn't realize right when I saw that there's the 2004 and 2024. And my first instinct was, which is my instinct. There's no first instinct. It's just my instinct was, Mm -hmm. do we need another 2004 thing? And then I also realized, like, no, I I love it. It'll be awesome because everything about it was great. Uh, That will be interesting to see, though. Yeah, like, will there be anything new about it? Like, like, what could possibly be new? I mean, maybe Schilling gets in there and, like, talks, uh, you know, if Mike Pence had the courage and whatnot. So, so that's what you're excited about? No. But I, I do – I, I feel like the 2020 – If Mike Pence was, had the courage not, of Joe West. <laughs> I do think it's not he wasn't afraid to turn over a call as much the 2024 uh, – the 2004 retrospective. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's for us nostalgically, but I do think, like, when I, look, when I grew up and people would show me shit on, like, 1975, I'd be wrapped. Like, yeah. even though we lost, right? Yeah. And I feel like that that is going to be the, and look, for Netflix, is very smart. If they signed on with a team that's probably not going to be good this year, 
to like connect it to, to the past yeah. in that way. So that's a good point. I I have a I have a very specific memory during the '94 strike of um, it must have been Channel 38, you know, with no baseball to show. They they showed a couple of of games of like the 1986 ALCS, and and yeah, like I watched it with my dad, and like you, like I was enraptured because. You know, up to that point, 1994, I mean, the Reds, like, 19, in 1993, Scott Cooper was the Red Sox lone representative to the All-Star game. Like, that's, the, like, those are the Red Sox of my formative years. Yeah. And so seeing them in, in the World Series and in the ALCS, like, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I just remember watching, like, every player who came up to the plate would be like, oh, there's, like, Rick Burleson would come up to the plate. I'd be like, I'd be like Dad, was he good? Was he good? And my dad was like, they're, they're all good. They went to the World Series. That's what they were. And I was like, what? Rick Burleson, I guess, wasn't that good. But, you know, still. I yeah, I was going to say a bad example. But uh, <laughs> no, but, so, but I, I don't like it is for people our age, some degree. But I think that a huge number of people uh, of our age watched the DVDs, bought bought the DVDs the second they came out, watched them. Oh, I used to watch them in, like, and I used to watch them in college, like in the winter. I would just put them on at like two in the afternoon. Of course, and, and just uh, yeah, watch a five-hour baseball game that was that only happened the year before. Or the but I do think before. that the, the whole Netflix thing is there. Like, Netflix is bigger than America, and this is for everybody. And this, yeah. and and to. The Red Sox public relations is getting better, as I wrote. Uh, this is a great public relations move, no matter what, because Netflix will make it look good no matter what happens. I was thinking, what if it was last year, right? Do you realize the Pablo Reyes game would be the greatest episode of television you'd ever seen in your fucking life? And that was last year, right? They will would, make would it Would that be look- better than the Kyle Bearclaw game? so so in again that's the question like is it gonna be look is it are they gonna no they skip over that shit man will they skip skip over over the kyle bear clock like are you sure i don't know no but they want to do things that make people happy do they i mean look i'll just say from netflix makes drugs man what they're doing is making drugs, television drugs to go in your head and be like, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. But, you know, just again, but like looking at their other sports, just all or nothing, their soccer version, you know, they, the most recent season of all or nothing followed the German national team in the last World Cup, which is one of the worst World Cup performances Germany's ever had. And there's no sugarcoating that. And the entire, see so that coming. the narrative of, the uh, you got the you showed them you got yes. the very nice can, yeah the problem is they everyone else can say that about us now yeah um but like and so that this the narrative arc of that show was here's how the German national team fell and it was actually very interesting because at least the the perspective that the filmmakers took was that the Germans who were actually one of the more outspoken teams about the world cup being played in Qatar 
and they, you know, they before their first game, they all took a picture with their hands over their mouths because they were censored. The narrative that the filmmakers went with was basically like the German team was very distracted by the political situation. They were never comfortable playing in the World Cup in the first place. Their fans weren't comfortable with participation, and the weight of all of it was too much, and the players crumbled under it. They didn't shy away from that. That's the story they told. So, so look, like, so look, like that's the, the best case scenario is Netflix does that with the Red Sox. The worst case scenario is they make something really entertaining. That's why I even admit for Sam Kennedy, it's a fucking coup. It's a fucking coup. Yeah. Yeah. It I can't wait for it. I am I hope it's good. I, I hope I hope it's not too propaganda y. I know we're gonna like, Luke, Lucas Giolito, what a great signing for this fucking show, man. <laughs> Yeah, Giolito, he'll be he'll be a big star. I think I think Von Grissom. I Von Grissom is all a the kids. Dude. All the kids are going to be stars if they come up. All of them. yeah. Cassis, uh, Cassis, Cassis by a fucking mile, man. Cass, he is obviously going. To he's. Be, gonna, I think he's going to be number one because like <clears throat> Devers is the star of the team, I guess, but he's not like a big English speaker, and he just like he'll be great. For TV, because he smiles and hits dingers, as he yeah. says. But Cass is going to get in there and get all of the existential, well, too. The Red Sox are already, the Red Sox PR people are already putting Casas in front of every camera they can find. I don't know if you saw, like, they did a little shoot with him in, in a Boston sushi restaurant, like, a month ago, where he, like, goes behind the counter with the sushi chef and learns how to make a California roll. You know they should they they released footage of from Camp Story, um, where you know he showed up to Camp Story, and most of the footage isn't them doing infield drills. It's Tristan Casas playing knockout at, at Trevor Story's basketball court. Like they've clearly decided that this is the guy they're going to put in front of the camera, yeah, and obviously, yeah. and that's the right decision. No one no one could possibly blame them. Um, so I do think he's going to be the star. I think Von Grissom is going to be the star, but I do hope that it's. I, re- I really hope the Red Sox back off. Let me put it that way. And and that the filmmakers are allowed to tell an authentic story of this season. There's been a lot made of the fact that the Red Sox don't have final cut. And they've said that, you know, this isn't going to be us. We don't have final cut. I think that's a little bit overblown because even if they don't have final cut, you we can have second to last cut. Yeah, yeah. Or, or before before the cameras even start rolling, there's all there's going to be all sorts of contractual language about what exactly they you know they're they're allowed to to shoot. So I don't. But think that would that be the case for anybody. Like it I, would be the I, case for anybody for sure. For sure, I, I am. Except that I don't. I mean, I do. I let me just boil it down. I think the Netflix version of the 2024 season will be way more entertaining than the actual 2024 season. <laughs> and I don't know if that'll be true for 2025. I feel like yeah. that's when, as the Red Sox are constantly one year out, but I kind of believe it now. So yeah, well, you'll yeah, we'll we'll see the Reds. I mean, we we got some quote unquote good news about the Orioles today. <laughs> the, the Orioles had like three major injuries announced. Yeah, I mean, they still fucking traded for Corbin Burns. So, yeah. like, yeah, oh, Kyle Bridge can't pitch. Okay, well, you still have yeah. Corbin Burns. Like, that's not yeah. – I don't 
We haven't I'm talked so much happy. baseball so on this pod yet, and we don't I'm have time so, to. But there is a path for the Red Sox. I'm so happy Christmas. for the Orioles, honestly. It's like yeah. it's weird. Like the Orioles and the Commanders, the, the two teams with shitty owners. Oh, we, we, we changed owners, and now we're good. Or now we're trying to be good. I am too. Are, I, I hope they sink so much money into that team. I really do. <clears throat> I think it would be again, you know they just Gunner is the is the extension they need is the next one, right? Gunner yes. is the because yeah. they already did Adley, I, I if I remember correctly. Did they do Adley? I don't know. No, they I mean, no, no, he's still on his rookie deal, I think. He's not going anywhere. I hope not. I do, do hope. Do you remember this Matt Weeder's facts? Did you ever go to oh. Matt Weeder's facts? Um, I do remember that. I remember his first game with the Orioles, which was their first sellout in like 10 years. Yeah. Again, that's another cautionary tale. Matt Reader's perfectly he, well, that's what I was gonna say. He's perfectly he's, fine catcher, perfectly yeah. fine catcher, not a franchise savior. No, which no, you know, you good. can't you and and that and that was the Orioles strategy for years. Wait except for Matt Reader's except. except Adley is what they wanted Weeders to be. Like yes. he, 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 no, he's a switch. Oh, the switch hitting catcher who can fucking bang. Oh, actually, Adley is that. All right, do you have a recommendation? Um, I am going to. So I mentioned this on the pod last time. I am now going to officially recommend it because there's only one episode left. Have you seen Mister Spade on AMC? No. Watch Mister Spade on AMC. It is so good. So it's Clive Owen plays I, I don't i don't know if like have you ever read dashwell hamnet or stuff you know any of his stuff i haven't i you know i'll admit it but you do like old movies so did you ever see the humphrey bogart maltese falcon no okay so i i'm new to this universe too humphrey bogart has played this character before in the maltese falcon has he played croupier <laughs> he i mean he wore the same tuxedo in there casablanca you there you go um so my understanding, I actually don't know if Mr. Spade is based directly on anything that was in the books. I think they may have just picked up where the Maltese Falcon left off and and just reimagined a story for him. Um, it is such a good show. It's, it is a dense show. There's a lot going on. Just of it is Clive Owen plays a grizzled detective, an American detective, who um, now lives in the south of France because uh, the daughter of the daughter of the femme fatale in the Maltese Falcon. This, so this the femme, is the this isn't this the uh, plot to to catch a thief? I think this is the plot to catch. I've never seen to catch a thief, but possibly. Um, yeah, it's pretty much the it's, plot of that. How much does to catch a thief have to do with the French Algerian Civil War? Because that's Not a, a lot. It has a lot to do with American role. in the south of France, but okay, okay maybe, maybe. Yeah. So he li- so he lives in the south of France now. He is sort of the ward of this girl whose whose mother is dead, and he's, you know, he, he the whole reason he gets to France is because he's trying to get her back to her father, but her father is a very shadowy figure in the French army. The show is somehow both about World War II and the French-Algerian War, even though it takes place actually during neither. Mostly, it, take, it takes it, it takes place in two different timelines, mostly in like 1962. Um, 
a lot happens in it. I've already watched most of the episodes twice. Um, and, and it's not, it, it, when I say it's dense, it's not like hard to follow or comp. It's, it's a joy to watch because Clive Owen's fucking amazing. And you're in the South of France and the, the episodes are like 45 minutes long, like right in that sweet spot. Um, and it's just, it's really good. There's, there's, I think there's only, it's only a six or eight episode season. There's only one episode. Left. What, what uh, platform? What platform? It's on AMC. It's on, it's on TV. It's on regular old TV. Television. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Not, not, not so much. All right. I guess I'll go with, uh, I mean, I've talked about the book I'm reading right now, but I'll, I'll go with Number Go Up by Zeke Fox. Though his, it, it's about the crypto stuff. It's basically the exact same book as the Ben McKenzie book, but better. Um, but the thing about Zeke Fox is his last name is spelled uh, you would say foe if you didn't know it was pronounced Fox, mm-hmm. which you would only know if you listen to the audiobook. Um, but Zeke, what I thought, his he's a Bloomberg reporter. I thought his name was Zeke Foe, which I thought was the greatest name for a journalist I had ever heard in my entire fucking life. That is uh, a pretty good name. It's a really good book. He does Ben McKenzie... And, the, and so I, I, one thing I talked about on this podcast with Ben McKenzie in his book was talked about how he hated how sycophantic Michael Lewis was being in real time before Michael Lewis's book came out. Right. Zeke Fox does the exact same thing. But Zeke Fox also goes to like Cambodia and to visit these server farms, like enslaved mm. people. He like does ben, whole, ben, ben McKenzie's whole thing was like, how would I be a reporter and like show me how? And I'll talk about it. He's very good about telling him Zeke Fox is a reporter and went all the fuck around the world to talk about the stuff. And it's uh it's really entertaining. And uh I listened to that whole I I I, I never thought I'd be a listen to book guy, and now I am. So I've never tried it. I'm not a guy. I, I, I pumped it up to one point two <laughs> times. Like I'm not mm. when I listen to podcasts, I'm not a speed up guy. But for books, I did okay. one point. One I think point. I think I would give it a shot for nonfiction. I I I would I would never I would never do it for fiction tape. unless yeah. it was like the only fiction I would do would be like the pulpiest. If it was just the most like I'm in the mood for just fucking pouring sugar on my brain. That that. Mm. That that's the only, but yes, no, I only, uh, I only do nonfiction on that. Um, all right, I think that's it for us tonight. That's it. Monsters of Dark after dark. Should we talk about baseball next week? Eh, well, we don't. We do every <laughs> other week, so maybe the week after that we'll talk. We can do. We can. We can record next week. We can, but the, the it's only part, we we never decided that we were going to do every other week. We just no. I think the schedule is de- determined, it, but the schedule is about to ramp. It is. Shit is about to pop off, and I've heard from sources that I don't necessarily trust, but I respect that our pod and the red seat are good, and pod on Lansdowne is bad. That's what the audience says. I have heard that. Yeah, I've heard yeah. That. I love that. Like, I can't believe that critique was about Potter Lansdowne not talking about the Red Sox enough when, like, you and I have made Brooklyn Bar talk a regular segment of the show. Yeah, I don't think we're 
like it, the next time we don't have Brooklyn Bar Talk, I'll be surprised. And that not- we do a draft. We haven't done a draft in a long time. Should we just should we draft Brooklyn bars? Should we really test the audience's limit here? Okay, keep that in mind. If we Brooklyn bars me. as twenty twenty four Red Sox players. Jesus Christ, I kind of want to do that. All right, nobody cares. All right, that's it. Monster Sox. That's Dan. I'm Brian. We'll talk to you sometime <laughs> soon. Take care.